The Prince of Wales was drunk. It was his wedding day. He was disgusted by his bride, and he was the most inebriated he had ever been outside of a brothel. He was in debt to the tune of over five hundred thousand pounds, and the only way to settle his obligations was to marry. But he was shocked by the ugliness of his wife-to-be, Caroline of Brunswick, and thought she smelled like a peasant. In the overheated, over-decorated Chapel Royal, dressed sumptuously in his customary high-fashion garb, the prince gritted his teeth, took another swig of porter, and tried to focus his mind on the showers of money he would receive. The marriage of the thirty-two-year-old Prince of Wales had been a subject of debate for years. By 1794, ministers and courtiers were desperate for cheering news. Great Britain was mired in despond and recession. War with France had strained the country's finances and increased the price of imports, and the gentry lived in fear of the English mob setting off another French revolution in England. Never was there seen so gloomy a birthday in this country as that of yesterday, bleated the morning post in January, referring to the Queen's birthday. Care and despondency seemed to sit on every brow. The affected smiles of ministers showed that disappointment and despondency resided in their hearts, and instead of being a day of joyous gratulations, a settled melancholy and dread apprehension for the safety of the nation pervaded the assembly. The English needed a national event to lift their spirits, and the ideal solution was a royal wedding. But George was a demanding suitor. After nearly seventeen years of chasing the most beautiful women in London, he was easily bored, made unhappier by unlimited choice. Few, if any, of Europe's shy, bug-eyed princesses could have satisfied him. And yet, despite his own exacting standards, he was not the handsome young charmer he had once been. Perched on top of his flabby body was a round, rather saturnine face, and his once fine complexion had turned florid. Still, he had striking grey eyes, a mass of light brown hair, superb if flamboyant dress sense, and great charisma. When the heir to the throne was in the mood, no one could fail to be charmed by his exquisite manners and intensely flattering conversation. The prince had always been hungry for affectionate sympathy. At the tender age of sixteen, he had fallen hopelessly in love with his sister's twenty-three-year-old assistant governess, Mary Hamilton, besieging her with letters. Seven years later, in 1785, he staged an elaborate charade by pretending he was on his deathbed in order to persuade the devout Catholic widow, Maria Fitzherbert, to marry him. Blonde, bosomy and beaky, she was the only woman who had resisted him sexually, but once he had married her and conquered her in bed, he lost interest. Relegated to the status of morganatic, unofficial wife, since George III had not sanctioned the union, Mrs. Fitzherbert was soon made miserable by her husband's philandering and spendthrift nature. As the diarist Thomas Rakes recorded, the prince was young and impetuous and boisterous in his character, and very much addicted to the pleasures of the table. He courted other women and borrowed money from Mrs. Fitzherbert. And then, in 1793, 
the clever, unprincipled, and fascinating Lady Jersey began to exert her charms. Born in 1753, the daughter of the Irish Bishop of Raffaux, Frances Twisden was seventeen when she was married to the thirty-five-year-old Earl of Jersey. The prince first fell in love with her when she was twenty-nine and he twenty, but she battered him away. Twelve years later, however, once he was presiding over his own gilded court in St. James's, she was eager to charm him. At forty-one, she was nearly ten years his senior, and already a grandmother, but she possessed, according to the diarist Nathaniel Raxall, irresistible seduction and fascination. The prince was soon captivated by her brittle, aloof glamour. In the spring of 1794, the Court of Privileges decreed null and void the marriage of the prince's younger brother Augustus to Lady Augusta Murray. To the Prince of Wales, the court's decision seemed to give him permission to discard his wife in order to indulge himself with Lady Jersey. Catholic commoner Maria was even less suitable than the Protestant aristocratic Lady Augusta. In June, when Mrs. Fitzherbert was dining with the Duke of Clarence and his mistress, Dora Jordan, she received an urgent letter. She opened it to find her lover informing her that their relationship was at an end. Her grief was only intensified by another letter, delivered a fortnight later, in which the prince justified his actions like a spoiled schoolboy. He, by contrast, thought he had acted very properly toward his unofficial wife. As he fussed to Captain Jack Willett Payne, friend and member of his household, to tell you what it has cost me to write, and to rip up every and the most distressing feelings of my heart, which have so long lodged there, is impossible to express. God bless you, my friend, whichever way this unpleasant affair now ends, I have nothing to reproach myself with.